0: Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. If you're new here this morning, we want to welcome you. We're glad you're here. My name's Dan Burmeister. I'm the lead pastor here at Life Community. Um, Many of us have a company or an organization, right, that we work for, and more than likely that company or that organization is working towards an end, and they probably have like a mission statement, right? Does anybody work for a company that they, they know that has a mission statement? Anybody? Okay, does anybody have no clue what their company's mission statement is? Okay, some there. All right. Well, I I brought some mission statements here from some some companies you might know. So we're have a little fun this morning. I'm going to read the mission statement. You can call it out if you want, blurt it out. You tell me which company it is, okay, if you can think of it. Here's the first one. To help bring creative projects to life. Any ideas? Okay, it's Kickstarter. All right, here's another one. To refresh the world, to inspire moments of optimism and happiness, to create value and make a difference. Any ideas? No ideas? Every time you drink that Coke, those things are happening, okay? Here's another one. This might be easier. To help people around the world plan and have the perfect trip. I heard it. Yep, trip advisor. All right. Here's another one. To give everyone the power to create and share Ideas and information instantly without barriers. Any ideas? That is Twitter. Now, here, I'm going to read. This is a long one, so I'm going to read it fast. But, but To be one of the world's leading producers and providers of entertainment and information, using our portfolio of brands to differentiate our content, services, and consumer products, we seek to develop the most creative, innovative, and profitable entertainment experiences and related products in the world. Woo! Disney, right. That's a long... Mission statement. I wonder if they make their employees like memorize that. Hopefully not. Uh, okay, here's another one. To inspire and nurture the human spirit. One person, one cup, one neighborhood at a time. Starbucks. All right, you obviously frequent that place. All right, one more. To bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world. If you have a body, you are an athlete. Nike. You guys are good. I'll tell you one more. one more. This is an important one here. You better know this one. To bring people into meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ and with others. What is it? Yes. You've done well. Okay. And then there's this, this mission statement we're going to focus on today. Okay. That's, that's it comes from the Bible and we're going to spend a considerable amount of time on it today. And this is the, the mission statement. To bless all nations through your family line. To bless all nations through your family line. This was, in essence, God's mission statement to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12. And God's promise to Abraham was this, that through your family line, through your descendants, okay, all nations were going to be blessed. I mean, think about that if you're Abraham. God says that through your family line, your family line will be the vehicle to bring blessing to all nations. So today we start with that, that mission statement. If you were here last week, you know we, we started a series called On Mission. We're looking at kind of Old Testament examples of God's heart for all nations. God has always been on mission from the very beginning. His heart is for all nations. He's been hard at work toward the, towards that end. Now, most of you know that that promise that was made to Abraham, that mission statement, if you want to call it that, it came really got its power in one who was far down the family line, and we know it's in Jesus. We read in Galatians that it was in Christ Jesus that the blessing of Abraham came to the Gentiles and eventually to all nations. Okay. Through, through Jesus' death, through his resurrection, God would, would ignite the blessing. The offer of salvation to all peoples, to all nations, not just those in the family line. Today, Jesus asked us, right, to take that blessing to other people groups, to all nations. But back to the idea of a mission statement for a moment. Why does a company have a mission statement? Why is it there? It's, it's to help stay on track, right? To, to circle back, to be reminded, to make sure it's being lived out, to make sure a company doesn't veer off course. So in the time after Abraham God would remind the people of that mission statement. He d- he did it again to Abraham in Genesis 17 when he said behold my covenant's with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. He did it with Abraham's son Isaac in Genesis 26. I will multiply your offspring and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. He did it again with Isaac's son Jacob in Genesis 28. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed, and so on. And you can kind of see there's the family line, sorry about the bad font there, that looks very old, but um, the green, you can see the family line, and that's where the blessing was going to come through. It's just clear that God wanted his followers at that time to know where this was going, that his heart was for all nations, for all people, not just those in the family line. Today, we're going to see another example of God's heart for all people. We're going to see another example of him reinforcing this this mission statement to bless the outsider. In the book of Jonah, God God displays his desire for a, a pagan city, one that's outside of the family line, and he wants them to turn to him And in this book, God is going to redirect Jonah and ultimately his people, those who are in the family line, back to the mission statement that he has a heart for all nations. Now, Jonah is a fantastic book of the Bible. Four chapters, only 48 verses total. Its main player is the prophet Jonah. And Jonah is a prophet unlike any other prophet we get to see. We know that prophets were the mouthpieces of God and most of the prophets we encounter in the Bible, we kind of get to know on a surface level. Uh, we, we know them for the words that come out of their mouth and then maybe the responses to those words. But with Jonah, we get to s- a look on the inside of, of who he is. We get to see his, his inner life, his heart, his really his attitude. And I'm going to tell you right now, it is not a good look. Okay, It's, it's, it's bad. This is one messed up prophet. He's actually kind of a jerk almost the whole way through the book. He's a rebellious prophet. He's a reluctant prophet. He's a struggling prophet. And we get kind of this candid, unfiltered look at his life and inside him. Now the the book is dripping with wit, with humor, with sarcasm, with irony. It's very funny. At times it plays out like a Saturday Night Live skit where characters are doing the opposite of what they should be doing, what you would expect them to do. We've got prophets of God who are running away. We've got pagan sailors who are turning to God. We've got an evil king that turns to God. We've we've got a prophet who, when the city repents, he gets angry at God. Uh, It's just a crazy kind of story. It's very entertaining, but it is convicting. Because we can find ourselves laughing at the story. We'll read it in a second. We laugh at the story, and then we feel like this punch in the gut. That God's trying to get through something to us, a point here. I'll tell you, it was one of my favorite books. When I was a kid, it confession time. I used to skip the service in church sometimes. And I went to a huge church and I would go into the library of the church and they had these audio cassettes back in the days of cassettes, right? They're these audio cassettes and I would listen to them as a kid. And my favorite books were Esther and Jonah. And I listened to them over and over again. I just love this story. But a couple more things about Jonah. Unfortunately, it's a book known mostly for what? How do people know it? Right, the great fish, the whale. Um, but there's much more to this. this. This book takes place during the reign of King Jeroboam II, 786 to 746 BC. And the Assyrians are a major threatening presence to God's people at that time. And this book is gonna speak to God's people, to those in the family line, and Jonah is really a representation of them. As God's chosen people, they had become full of pride pride of judgmentalism, of a kind of tribalism, and they had veered off course, and they had forgotten God's intention with the mission statement to reach all nations. They were the vehicle to get the message out. So before we even start reading, I want to kind of address the problem that we are going to see in ourselves from this book, and it's this. Like Jonah, like the people of Israel, we have forgotten God's heart toward all nations. We place ourselves above those who are outside of the family, outside of of Christ. We we can diminish other people. We can exalt ourselves. We carry the same pride, the same judgmentalism, the same tribalism you're going to see in this story. And though God has given his grace to us, the worst of sinners we are, we still see ourselves a little bit better and we tend to cloister, and we prefer to be safe with our faith, and we fear those on the outside. So let's jump into this book. We're going to start in Jonah. If you want to follow along in your Bible, I have the scripture up here too. We're not going to read the whole book of Jonah, but we're going going to read quite a bit of it. But we're going to start in chapter 1, verse 1. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up against me. We know, again, the prophets were the mouthpiece, and God wants Jonah here to go into enemy territory and call out against the evil. Nineveh, which is in today, would be in like modern day Mosul in Iraq, okay? It was the capital of the Assyrian nation, a foreign nation, a nation outside Of the family line, an empire known for its violence, for its cruelty, a nation that didn't know the one true God. And and you kind of think here that God's intention is going to be to to smite the city, to destroy it, but really his heart, we'll find out later, is that that city is going to turn to him, is going to repent from the way that they've been living and turn to him. Verse 3, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Why? Because he hates the Assyrians. Okay, they're his enemies. He doesn't want anything to do with them. And he knows that God wants to save them and that bothers him to his core. It says in verse three, he went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. And here's a map. Of exactly, love maps, right? Here's a map of exactly how far Jonah went to get away from the mission. There's Joppa where he boarded his ship, and there. And then here's his intended destination, Tarshish. Not only did he intend to go as far as he possibly could to, like, the edge of the known world, really, at that time, but after he gets on the ship, he steps down into the ship, into the middle of the ship, the place where you could hide the most, and it says he went away from the presence of the Lord. We know that's impossible, right? God's on the present. We know that about him. It's impossible. But this is written to indicate to us that, that Jonah was trying to escape from God, that he did have one, wanted nothing to do with this mission. But God, of course, our plans are not like his. We get to verse four. says that the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the, the ship threatened to break up. Verse 5, then the mariners, or sailors, the crew, were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. Okay, we're introduced to the, to the crew here. Man, these guys are in a panic, all right? Their ship's about to break up each of them are, are doing what we would do in the same situation, which was cry out to the God we know. Uh, they do not know the true, the one true God. They all follow different gods. They cry out to them. And what's Jonah doing? He's sleeping in the midst of this. Now, I'm a light sleeper, okay? I'm not a light sleeper, I should say. But this, I mean, how do you sleep through a storm like this? And it's kind of, of, of funny. But there's kind of irony in the story here because the prophet, the one who is supposed to be God's man, who's supposed to be doing the words of God, is, is hiding, running away from God. And the sailors, hey, we all know, right, the reputation of sailors, right? Cursed like a sailor, the expressions. They are crying out and seeking help from above. This is one of those moments where we kind of laugh and then we get kind of punched in the gut for how many of us are like Jonah in our lives. We, we, we're running, from the mission. There's a mission outside. Every time we step out, but we're like in the middle of the ship. We're hiding or we're zoned out. We're asleep. We're indifferent to what God is doing around us. Well, the situation is getting desperate. And verse six says, so the captain came and said to Jonah, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. In other words, get up. What are you doing sleeping? All of us have cried out to our gods. None of them answered. Cry out to your God. Maybe he will answer. Again, we see in dire circumstances, this is what people do. We can learn from this. People in, in our world who don't know Jesus, okay, when things fall apart, when they reach the end of the rope where there's no more solutions, man, there is an opportunity because it's then that they are open a lot of times to hear about their creator and, and to, to receive that. Verse seven, and then the crew said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So somehow these, these uh, sailors have concluded, right, that the, the storm that has come upon them is not your typical storm, This is a divine storm, and so they want to get to the bottom of this, so they cast lots. What is casting lots? Think like rolling dice or spinning a wheel so that it lands on someone, okay? Whatever it was, they did it, and it fell on Jonah. I wonder who was responsible for it falling on Jonah. So they say to Jonah after that in verse 8, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. Basically, who are you? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What, what's your country? Of, of what people are you? Who are you, Jonah? And remember, this is always funny. This is like an action movie, right? All, all this dialogue's happening while the, the, the bullets are flying all around. All this dialogue's happening while the storm's going, the ship's breaking up here, right? And verse 9, Jonah answers them, and this is what he says He says, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. I am Hebrew and I fear the Lord. I don't know if this is something that just rambled out of his mouth or how this came about, but think of the hypocrisy of that statement: "I'm Hebrew and I fear the Lord, yet I'm running from the one that I fear. You know, sometimes we, we can be running away from God, but we can say the words. Yes and follow Jesus. He's number one in my life. But we can just utter, utter that out, and, it can, and it's not happening inside us. Not only does he say that, but he says, I fear the God who made the sea and the dry land, which is, you think about the sailors. They're starting to probably put this together now, right? Wait a second. Jonah follows the God who made the sea, right? Jonah's running from that God, And the seas were angry that day, my friends, right? Some of you get that reference? Okay. Verse 10. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and they said to Jonah, what is this that you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So the secret's out now. They know exactly why this is is happening. And in verse 11, they say to Jonah, what shall we do to you? that the sea may quiet down for us, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Basically, how do we deal with with your mistake, Jonah? What what do we do? And Jonah says to them, pick me up, hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. And you think about this, it really is, (laughs) it's Jonah's rebellion that has brought all this on. You think about the consequences of his rebellion. One, the city might not hear the word that God wants them to hear to repent. So a whole city's affected. And then you've got this crew now that is in absolute crisis. Their lives are turned upside down because of this. Verse 13, Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous again. This is, this is crazy. So, so Jonah says the solution is to throw me in to the water. They don't do that, do they? They try a different solution. They don't want to throw Jonah in. And again, this is ironic because Jonah has put their lives in complete danger, selfishly abandoning the call that God has called him to, and yet they don't want to harm Jonah. And I'll tell you what, they display more... Godly character, don't they? Than the prophet of God himself. Well, God takes the dial of the storm and turns it up a little bit more. Verse fourteen. Therefore, they, the crew, called out to the Lord, "O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. God, it's obviously, it's obviously your will that this guy, this your prophet, is to be thrown to the water. But please, don't hold us responsible." Verse 15, so they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased immediately, ceased from its raging. Then, verse 16, the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows to the Lord. This is like a God moment here for the sailors. They turned to him and here we've got God's mercy in saving the outsider, right? Through all of this bringing Jonah back to the mission, he he reaches into the lives of a couple of heathen sailors here and he turns them to him. That's pretty cool. And then we get to verse 17 and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish 3 days and 3 nights and of course we've got to watch the veggie tales. Version of this, you can't miss that. Okay. Well, that's not the end of the story. Most people know Jonah for that. In fact, you're probably going to find a lot of kids' books who probably don't have the end of the story in it. Um, But in chapter 2, which we're not going to read, Jonah prays from the belly of the fish. And he seeks God, and he agrees to the mission, though he's not still really all in with it. Okay, He moves from like being a rebellious prophet to now he's a reluctant prophet. And in chapter 3 the story resets again, okay? And God's going to start, it's almost like it starts over at the beginning. And so this is what we read in chapter three, verse one. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Finally, he responds to the mission. Now, Nineveh, verse three was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So Nineveh is this huge city. Now there's some debate about what this, this uh, three days, some translations, maybe yours says it takes three days to get through it, three days to see it all. Um, there's, is this literal? Is it a figure of speech? Whatever it is, it is Nineveh is a huge city, all right? And where do you go if you want to get the message out? Where do you go? Where's the best place to get the message out? You go to the top, right? You go to the king. You go tell the king so he can tell the people. It's a huge city. What does Jonah do? He goes about a third of the way into the city, and he finally, he speaks some words. And there are basically five words he says in Hebrew that are translated eight words in English so we can understand it better. Five words, he says. Now, what do you really say if you want the city to repent? You explain to them who God is. You explain to them what they're doing. You try to convince them whatever it takes, you keep going and going. What does Jonah do? He says five words. He basically says, you have 40 days, and then it will be overthrown. That's all we get from him in this. Does Jonah want the city to be saved? Hardly. He's a reluctant prophet, but God, that's all God needs. That's all God needs. And this is a lesson in and of itself for us because what do we do when we think about sharing our faith with other people? Oh my gosh, I better have every word down perfect. I better present it in such a way that people are gonna understand it. It's all up to me. And you'll see here in a second, God takes five words in Hebrew and he turns a city around. He uses, sometimes even when our heart is not in the perfect place, he takes it and he uses it. And when he does that, what does he do? He brings glory to himself through it. Well, here's what happens. Verse five, and the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Fasting, sackcloth, these are signs of repentance. Sackcloth, man, you do not want to wear a sackcloth. It's like goat's hair, kind of. It's very uncomfortable. It's, it's, it's not fun. And it, it was part of the repentance that the people had. Now, verse 6 says that the word reached the king of Nineveh. So God knows how to get the word out, right? reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Ashes represented destruction and ruin. They were used in times of national repentance. And then the king puts out the proclamation to, the, to everyone. This is what he says. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything fast, okay? Okay. Let them not feed or drink water. Oh, serious fast here, okay? But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. So we see part of the, part of the evil happening here is the violence. These are a violent people, okay? <laughs> now, even the animals are fasting. Even the animals are wearing sack, sackcloth. And I'm not sure what, what the deal is with that, but the whole nation, everybody, Turns, desperate. The king goes on to say, who knows? Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Then it says, verse 10, when the Lord, when God had saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it. They turned. The whole city, this huge city, turned to God. Now any other prophet, right, would have been thrilled, would have been thrilled that the mission happened, it was accomplished. Most of these prophets, you guys know, we've read the stories we've focused on it a lot here in the last couple of years. Most prophets speak the word and they get kind of laughed at or they get ignored or they bring judgment. It's very lonely everybody responds. Mission accomplished. But to Jonah, this is, man, this is playing out exactly like he thought it would. He knew this would happen. Doggone it. He hates all of it because those people that he hated who were liars, cheaters, probably murderers, rapists, violent people are turning to God. They are now followers of God as he is. They are now in the family. Oh, no. And this story, again, it gets you to stop and ask some questions, doesn't it? So here's some questions to think about for us. Who do I deem not worthy to take part in the gospel? Seriously, ask yourself that question. Who do I deem not worthy? Who do I not want in the family next to me? Who is my enemy? Who has hurt me? Who is, like the Assyrians, who's evil? Who's worth? Throwing away. I'm guessing you've got those people in your mind. You've got those people groups in your mind. Not going to worry about them. Lost cause, right? And now we see kind of the ugliness of what's inside us in Jonah's life. It's displayed. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. He is ticked off. And he prayed to the Lord. And he said, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was in my country? I called this. I knew this would happen. That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. Whoa. Are you waiting for like the lightning bolt to come down on him at this point? Wow, this guy's in a dark dark place. You think well, this guy's a little too comfortable with God, right? To say these words, but man, you read through the Psalms, you see people angry with God about life. He can take it. He can take it. But Jonah Jonah despises the Ninevites, the Assyrians. And that blue that you see up there, that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, that Jonah quotes a verse from the from Exodus. All right, and this is the verse, Exodus 34, 6. The Lord passed before him, this is Moses, and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The irony in this verse that Jonah quotes is that this verse happens, all right? Moses has brought down the, uh, the, the, two, the tablets, right, of the Ten Commandments, and he sees the people worshiping the golden calf. Tablets get destroyed, okay, anger. God calls Moses and makes new tablets. Moses brings those tablets down, and God says that verse to the people. God forgives the people for that incident where they turn to an idol, And and the, the interesting thing is that Jonah would not exist as an Israelite if God was not like this, a gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love. And this is the hard thing for us to accept, that Jesus is like this to us. He's like this to us, slow to anger, abounding in love. But he's also like that to my enemy, to those who I've written off, to those, whatever sin you can think of that that you've written off those people. Whatever people group you're thinking of that you've written off those people. God is gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. And the Lord tries three times then to get through to Jonah. This is what he says in verse four. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? In other words, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah ignores God. He walks away. In verse 5, he's still sulking. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. What's Jonah hoping for here, possibly? Is he hoping that the Assyrians will repent from their repentance, right? And that maybe there's still a chance for them to be destroyed Verse six, God is merciful. God is merciful. Now the Lord God appointed a plant. This is where things get really it's interesting. The Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. It's hot, okay? God provides this, this plant to give shade to Jonah. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plants. Oh, this is nice, man. I got this plant. I'm feeling good. Watching the city, hanging out there. But then, in verse 7, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And Jonah asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. This guy is hilarious. 24 hours before, he's like, man, life is... This is like the Cavs game, right? Before the Cavs game, I'm like, oh, man, life is good. After the Cavs game, oh, kill me, you know? This is terrible. This is the humor that's in this story here. But verse 9, but God said, Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah says, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Okay. And this is, where, this is where it hits home in verse 10. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and was gone in a night, And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? I I don't know what to do with that. Okay, I honestly, I can't tell you what to do with that. But get this, this is what God says. God is patient. He is patient and he's merciful with Jonah. And he says to him, Jonah... You are emotionally tied to a plant that you've had zero investment in, none. You want to die for this plant. Jonah, am I allowed to care for Nineveh, a place where I've invested in, a place where I care about, a place where there are 120,000 people who are lost, people who are made in my image? Jonah, I love them as I love you I want them to turn to me. Jonah, am I allowed to care about that? The Ninevites were lost people. They were people who needed to be saved. They were sheep without a shepherd. They were misguided. Now, this book, this book is is about Jonah Yes, it's about Nineveh, yes. But primarily, this was written for you and me today, here and now, it applies. Because like Jonah, like the people of Israel, we have forgotten God's heart towards all people, towards all nations. We place ourselves above those who are outside of Christ. We, we can diminish others. We can exalt ourselves. And though God has shown his grace to us, and we are the worst of sinners, we still see ourselves a little bit better. And we don't have God's heart toward other people, toward other nations. And God's grace is ridiculous. It is scandalous the way he loves those who we don't deem worthy. We're not worthy either. And his grace just pours over all of it and he offers Salvation. He offers freedom to all. And the funny thing in the story is that Jonah clearly thinks that the Ninevites are the worst, right? They're the worst, but but what does the story show us? Who is really the worst? Who's who's the one who's hard hearted? It's Jonah. And this message is for Israel, it's for us today too. God loves people. He loves the nations. He loves our enemies. That is the core of the gospel. But I say, remember we did the Sermon on the Mount not long ago? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. We are all enemies of God. We think sometimes we're the good guys. and They're the bad guys. We're all enemies of God, and we've all sinned, and the ground is level before the cross. We Got to remember that. So, God's mission statement is the same for us today. We are to be a blessing. We are to bring salvation to those who are outside of our family. And that's one of our core values here at LCC. We are outreach oriented. We believe that the answers for all life and eternity are found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. He died, He gave His life. He was the answer to the promise made to Abraham so long ago. And Jesus himself, before he left us, said, Go, said to us, said to his followers, Go and make disciples of all nations. Of all nations. In Columbus here, the nations are here, right? They have come to us. The people groups are here those who are different than us are here they need Jesus they need to be freed from their sin when I was about six years old let me go back actually when I was two I don't remember this we moved to Australia okay I, I was born in Germany we moved to Australia my dad worked for Goodyear international um, we were in Australia for about Uh, six years, from two till I was about eight. When I was about six years old, we had a neighbor, all right? My dad did not know Christ. My family did not know Christ. We had a neighbor, a native Australian, okay? We were the foreigners here. We had a native Australian come over to my dad and began a process of inviting him to Bible study to discover who Christ was, And that changed the trajectory of our life. We were the foreigners. That native Australian guy could have been, those guys are different. They're Americans. I don't want to deal with them. Whatever. That did not happen. And my life has been changed by the gospel because of that. My whole family's life has. So a couple questions before we go here. Just really two. Simple questions, am I on mission? Ask yourself that question, examine yourself. Am I on mission? Or have I zoned out? Am I in the middle of the ship while things are raging around me, where there's opportunity around around me? Am I on mission? And secondly, what is my heart? And what's my attitude toward the outsider, toward those who do not know the king. And what am I going to do? What's my role in softening and reaching those people? Take a step. That's my challenge this week. Take one step towards somebody who's different than you, towards somebody maybe from another nation, maybe somebody from the, that you don't identify with. Take a step towards someone who does not know Christ. God will use it. God will use it. Let's pray. God, we pray that our heart would bleed for the people in our city, that we would desire them as you desire them, God. I pray our heart would, would turn towards them. I pray that we would see ourselves differently, see our brokenness see our need for a Savior, and that it would translate to those in our world around us. God, I pray too that you'd help us see the big picture, that you came and you brought your message through Abraham, ultimately leading to the Messiah, to Jesus who died, who rose again for our sake. And God, I pray you give us the courage to take that message, that we would not live in fear Of others, but we would live in reverence and awe of you and what you've called us to do and be. Use us, use LCC as a lighthouse to all people, to all nations, both here in this city and beyond. In your name, amen.